0: You are now tuned in to the Jake Gagan Show. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to the Jake Gagan Show. I am joined by a special guest today. We got coach John Havlick in the building. Coach, thanks for joining the show. How are you doing today?
1: Good, Jake. Thanks for inviting me. All good here in Tampa.
0: Speaking of Tampa, how's the weather out there? Is it starting to get a little bit hotter?
1: Uh, We are going to have a good week. And then I imagine it's probably the last week before we start heading into summer. So, so that's
0: a hot, (laughs) yeah, that's a hot, hot summer. How long have you been living in Tampa?
1: I got here. Uh, my last assignment was here, uh, 2012, and uh, so I retired and just kind of put it down roots right now. So,
0: awesome. And are you living? Uh, you're living in Tampa. Are you on Harbor Island or
1: near Harbor Island? I live uh, downtown. I'm at Ground Zero. So, Convention gotcha. Center, Gasparilla goes by. Everything. So, yeah, pretty centrally located down here. You know.
0: Beautiful, beautiful man. Well, I'm excited for this show. Uh, we've known each other for you know, a few years, and you know, the connection between us is my mom. You work out at her gym that she works at the Harbor Island Athletic Club. I know she's live here today. and she wanted to uh, set this up badly. And you know, I, I've you know read your book and and talked about you for a while and and and, you know, got to know you, and I'm super excited for this show today, too.
1: I am too. And uh, you know your mom's a great lady, so anything I can do to help her out,
0: yeah, and shout out to Sue. I know she's on this show, but, you know, this is going to be an exciting show. Obviously, Coach, you were a Navy SEAL for 29 years, retired now, you know, going back to school, doing some uh, coaching and training and things like that, and also a, a Hall of Fame swimmer at West Virginia. So I'm excited to dive in and, uh, you know, get to know you a little bit better and, and have the audience, you know, get to know you as well.
1: Sounds good. Let's go.
0: Awesome. So tell us where it all started. I mean, are you from Tampa? Where are you from originally? And, and you know, where'd the, the story for you
1: start? Uh, Born in Munich, Germany, my father was stationed, it was an army, uh, was stationed over there. And uh, so I uh, spent a couple of years there. Uh, eventually he got orders to Maryland uh, and we settled just outside of Baltimore. He did his last tour there and I uh, grew up, we retired out of there and got a job in uh, working in Washington, DC afterwards. And uh, so we just settled uh, in a town called Glen Burnie uh, right outside south of Baltimore, right by the airport there, and uh, I just uh, was a normal kid, you know, I played, uh, did a lot of things, uh, probably was a better athlete than I was a student, so I tried to get in a lot of sports, baseball, being from Maryland, tried out lacrosse, hmm. but I also uh, started swimming, and that seemed to be. Uh, the sport of choice, and uh, I always remember my coach telling me my junior year in high school. He's like, "Look, you need to stick to swimming and forget the lacrosse piece." So <laughs> it's like, "All right, coach, got you." So uh, I did that, you know, and and uh, just uh, grew up there and got uh, did pretty well. I my what I did was there's no public high school swimming in Maryland at that time, and so. It was either go to uh, kind of the fancy, rich uh, private schools up in Baltimore, which I was recruited to in high school, but um, I sat down where I, in home, and uh, I swam at the Naval Academy. They have an age group swim team there, and so I, that's where I grew up and kind of matured and got my swimming prowess, so to speak, uh, coaching uh, or swimming at the Naval Academy until I went to college in West Virginia.
0: Wow! So first off, I didn't know you were born in Germany. That's pretty cool. That's that's exciting. Yeah.
1: So I, uh, need I need to go back and visit. I've never been there. So
0: yeah, but you were were you born on a base, like on a U.S. base? So it makes you an American citizen, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a naturalized citizen. So technically, I guess I have both. I could go for both citizenships, but it was a U.S. Army hospital on base in Germany, in Munich. So uh, yeah, that's where I was born.
0: Very exciting. And then when did you start swimming? Because you mentioned lacrosse, you mentioned baseball. Like, when was the first time you got in the pool? And were you just like, wow, I'm pretty good at this. Like, I need to stick with this.
1: Yeah, I start kind of age group uh, community swim team, summer swim team, about when I was six years old. And uh, I seemed to do pretty well and uh, just kind of stayed with that uh, as I got older. But I also wanted to try out the different, you know, I was playing baseball too at the same time. And then the lacrosse piece, like I said, you know, being from Maryland, everybody seems to either get born or is raised with a lacrosse stick in their hands. So I had to try it out and uh, see, see if I was any good at it, which I wasn't. <laughs> that's <laughs> so, funny. so that's that's kind of how I started the swimming piece.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I think lacrosse is an East coast thing. I grew up in Florida and like everybody's playing lacrosse out there, obviously in Maryland, not so much. I'm recording this live. I'm I'm in San Francisco right now and it's not really as big of a sport out here, but you know, out here they have things like water polo and men's volleyball and those are kind of unheard of back on the East coast where we're from. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But lacrosse is growing. It's, it's getting big out in the West coast now, you know, I'm down in San Diego and I know now as we were talking beforehand, my buddy coaches a, uh very good uh age group lacrosse team in your area so uh it's it's booming and he sent some kids to big colleges once they've graduated so it's it's booming.
0: Yeah it's it's a cool sport. It's a cool yeah sport. it's great. So you know got involved in swimming, obviously had a little success. I think it's pretty funny that you were swimming at a naval academy and you know to look at your story now obviously a Navy SEAL for 29 years did that ever interest you even when you were swimming at the Naval Academy? Like, Hey, maybe I should maybe entertain becoming a Navy SEAL or going to the Navy.
1: No, I, I had no intention of going in the military (laughs) when I was growing up. I, like I said, I was an army brat. I was surrounded by army guys, uh, army people as I grew up. And, and so when I, you know, when, when I went to West Virginia, it was a swim, you know, I got a, a scholarship opportunity, you know, and, uh, and I thought that's what I was going to do. So the quick short of it is I I, did, I finished my eligibility up, but I had another semester to go before I got my degree. So I started coaching. And I, I really liked it. I stayed at West Virginia and coached there for about a year. And I enjoyed it. And I thought that that's what I was going to do. Uh, you know, something to start thinking about post-swimming now. And I had a lot of experience and and some talent. So I said, maybe, maybe I need to develop Swimmers. That's my next calling. So I started doing that, and I didn't think of anything in the military. But the uh, funny thing is, I I had a relay qualify for the NC2A swimming championships. Nice. And and as I was uh, warming them up in the pool, the Naval Academy coach was on the pool deck, and he walked by. And he remembered me from uh, when I grew, when I swam there in high school remember me more my sophomore year when we swam navy at navy and beat them which he wasn't good but uh he came up to me and he asked me what i was doing and uh and i told him i was coaching at at that time i was at the university of south carolina and I, i i said i need a job and i was volunteering i was i wasn't getting paid for that i was just trying to build my resume get the experience and he goes, well, you know, I have something brewing. Uh, you ever thought about coaching at the Naval Academy? And I go, never thought about it, but, uh, you know, pass me the details when you get them and we can talk. And so a couple of weeks later, he called me and said, hey, everything's worked out. Or you interested in coaching at the Naval Academy? And I said, yeah, sure. Yeah. And he goes, well, first, before you, before you roger up for this, it comes with a catch and. I said, "What?" And he goes, "You got to join the Navy." And I go, "Really?" And he goes, "Yeah." But you know, the kind of the main thing about it is, Navy was recruiting assistant coaches for nine different sports, and instead of hiring them through the civilian way, you know, it was cheaper to bring. You know, we go to the Na- uh, we join the Navy, we go to boot camp, uh, we complete boot camp, and then we had guaranteed orders to the academy. And that way the Navy was paying instead of going the civilian route. So wow. Just went to boot camp. And I agreed. I said, okay, no problem. Hey, you know, I had nothing better going, so uh why not? You know? So good good stepping stone towards the future. Uh great place, great opportunity. So we all went to boot camp. And then we all when we made it through, we went to our various different sports. So I spent uh Actually, I was supposed to be three and a half or three year tour there. And, wow. then, and most like others, they either get out of the Navy and then stay there or go off and coach somewhere else. And so that's kind of the way I uh, I looked at it. But then about halfway through my time there, I met a Navy SEAL and <laughs> I started rethinking uh my future and what I wanted to do. So
0: yeah. And and before we get into that, we kinda, you know, you were talking about the the swimming at West Virginia. And I gotta I can't go on without saying, you know, obviously you had a pretty good career there, right? Not a lot of people know this. I didn't know this until you told me when we were talking off off the camera, but you ended up being a Hall of Fame swimmer at West Virginia. Is that right?
1: That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I was inducted uh 2017. So I must have didn't did something right there. So uh it's quite an honor. Very humble. Uh, you know, the Hall of Fame didn't exist when I was swimming there, so uh, it's uh, it's kind of a nice reward for uh, putting in a lot of putting in a lot of yards and a lot of time in the water. So, uh, but it was fun. I had a great time, and it's a great honor to be considered, uh, I guess, a mountaineer um, in a legend. So to speak. yeah
0: yeah, that's so, an that's an incredible honor. and to to be completely honest, you know, growing up, I think I swam for the first ten, fifteen years of my life. And I gotta say, I have so much respect for swimmers because you guys probably grind harder than any other sport that's, that's in a, in a school program. Like you're up at 5.00 AM, you're, you're in the pool at 5.00 AM. Then at the, you know, afternoon you're doing weights and then you're running and conditioning and back in the pool for two a day. So I just got to say, I mean, what was it like swimming at West Virginia? And, and, you know, how was it, you know, with all the training and also going to school?
1: It was, it was hard. You had, you had to learn how to balance it. I mean, like anything, you go to college, there's a lot of, a lot of distractions that can take you away from what you're doing. And, you know, West Virginia, has reputation but yeah I had a great opportunity they were they gave me a great opportunity to swim and I got a full ride and and all I had to do was swim fast you know and stay eligible so it seemed pretty easy to me and that's kind of the way I approached it yeah I you know I I sacrificed a lot and I put a lot of time in the water you know swimmers I think I was averaging in college uh, during the school year, four hours in the water and then probably is that per day? Yeah. Well, Monday through Friday. Wow. Saturday we usually had like a two, two and a half hour big workout. And then Sunday was an optional workout. Um, just kind of, and I used to use that just to kind of get in and loosen up and, and get ready for Monday actually. But the summers I was, I was going out to a place called Mission Viejo out in California. Yeah. Uh, Near uh, your, uh Orange County and uh, Laguna Beach area. And I was putting, no oh, man, I was putting five hours in the water there, you know, and uh, 20, 16 to twenty thousand meters a day, just grinding, and uh, you know, and that's kind of what everybody was doing. It's uh, the nature of the beast and the pool. So, you know, the staring at a black line for five hours takes a lot of internal fortitude, a lot of mental focus and do hard competitive sets, you know, cause when I was swimming in Mission Viejo, I was swimming with Olympic champions and world champions. And yeah, those guys were just like, Hey, let's go. Come on. You know, every set was a challenge and they wanted to go faster. And when they made one set, it's like, drop the intervals. Let's go faster. You know, and and it was great for my swimming and really helped me, when I got back to college to to do well in the water, so.
0: Yeah, I remember seeing that too, like, you know, back in, I think it was 2008, 2012. I'm pretty sure Michael Phelps, he was swimming out there somewhere in Orange County. I think there's like a nice Olympic community uh, out there. Maybe it's Mission Viejo, the same place that you were swimming or maybe out in Orange County. But I remember seeing uh, him training out there for quite some time. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned, you know, there's it does a lot to stare at that black line on the bottom of the pool for five hours a day. Now. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, it might drive a lot of people crazy for you. Is it kind of relaxing? I know, you know, when I talk to other swimmers, it's like they love nothing more than just to get in the pool, shut off their mind and just go.
1: I wish I could have shut my mind off. You know, I, I actually do my best to this day. I do my best thinking in the water. So wow, when I, when I, you know, I used it in, in the military is one of those, it's just my passion. And I remember the guys that worked for me would go, if things got a little tense, and they saw me kind of building up. They go, "Coach, I think you need to go swim." And I'm like, "Okay." And I would go swim, and and it's kind of it provided a venue. I've had a lot of conversations with myself underwater, and uh, you know, it's kind of things are I right, hashing out, and and made me before I make a big decision, kind of think things out and talk it out. But when I was swimming, I I I loved it. I just I wanted to see how fast I could go. I wanted to challenge myself. And when I, as a, from the day I stepped in and as a freshman, I, I wanted to lead the lane. And I never, I wanted people to push me. I wanted them to chase me, because I wanted to get better. And, uh, and that was just kind of the mentality I kept. Every year I was there, I wanted to lead the lane. I wanted to swim the hardest events. And I wanted people to chase me and uh, it made me a better swimmer. So.
0: Yeah. And have you always had that mentality? Like even from a youngster, like that's a, that's obviously look to be a Navy SEAL, you have to be a very, very special type of person. And it sounds like this is something that was ingrained in you. I mean, like even as a youngster, have you always had this, like, I want to be the best push me to be better. Let's compete type of mentality.
1: I think well, my my parents kind of old school, uh, grew up in the depression era. So they worked hard uh, and uh, and they kind of instilled that mindset in, you know, they didn't give me anything. Uh, all they gave me were opportunities uh, when I was growing up and anything I got out of it was kind of a ref- uh, reflection of what I, of my effort. Yeah. Uh, and and I worked hard, you know, my father, he, he says, you only get it through hard work, you know, and the very true. So I'm very grateful for what they did and the time they put in and allowed me to do it. And they instilled that in me mean, when I think I carried over into the teams. Why I always thought SEAL training, yeah, times was hard. But the hardest thing I think about when I think about SEAL training is the day-to-day grind of the schedule. You know, it was relentless and it was almost seemed like it was never ending. And I think that's where staring at a black line for four to five hours and getting used to that mentality really helped me out. I, I made the comment before I graduated, and I paid the price for this. Because, uh, I told one of my instructors in my course critique that I thought swim practice was harder than buds. Wow. <laughs> he uh, he uh, he read my critique as, as I was doing push-ups for about three hours, Ooh. reminding me of what I said in my critique, but I think it, it prepped me. It was no doubt about it. I what I did in the water, that day-to-day grind. I mean, you're talking my season swimming was cheap. It it didn't seem like it ever ended, you know? And so it it really helped me towards uh, SEAL training and getting through it.
0: Awesome. And let's dive right into that because, you know, it's something that since this podcasting stuff has become more available, you know, I think a lot of people have, whether it's watching Joe Rogan show or watching other other major podcasts. And we've seen some Navy SEALs come on, uh, you know, SEALs like David Goggins, who's, who's you know, out there speaking and, and telling his story, SEALs like Jocko Willick, uh, there's, a, there's a ton. And I think a lot of, you know, normal people, which I would call myself a civilian, are attracted to the stories that we hear. Um, in terms of just what it takes to be a Navy SEAL. And I truly believe, you know, the Navy SEALs are the hardest men on the planet. And I think the first test of that is Hell Week. And we hear these stories. I've I've read David Goggin's book and heard Jocko talk about Hell Week. um, And it just sounds absolutely miserable. So I wanted to open the floor to you. And I know that we talked before this, you're like, Hell Week, like that's nothing compared to what we've went through. But you know, for most people listening, they're probably not Navy SEALs, and Hell Week would be something that they could never make it through. So what was your experience like in Hell Week? When did you kind of go through it? And and you know, let's just let's just dive right into Hell Week.
1: Well, it's yeah, yeah. We were talking before and I kind of take it for granted, you know. I I laugh about it now, <laughs> you know, all the stories, but it wasn't fun going through. It's just it's something, it's the big filter that uh, kind of identifies the guys that want to be there and the guys that are kind of faking it and don't want to be there, you know, and it's part of the price. You want to be a seal, you got to go through hell week. The thing is it's a big buildup, like, you know, you just keep, you get tired of hearing about it, especially it's the fourth week of the first phase of training. And, uh, and so you, as you get there, all you keep hearing is hell week, hell week, hell week, and everything's everything in the very beginning, it kind of gets you, aligned towards getting ready for that working as a team getting your boat crew you know helping each other out and stuff the physical side of it is you know they emphasize a lot but as it gets closer and closer it just becomes the predominant thing in your mind of god hell week's coming i just remembered that sunday it started and i was just the clock was just ticking it kind of reminded me maybe of sitting on death row is like god you know the inevitable is coming and just let's go come on let's you know so it started about it it goes from sunday uh about six o'clock until the next friday uh and really when the instructors think you've made it you know so i have a funny story about how horror ended but how my class ended but uh we started with about uh 85 guys and when we finished uh following friday we were down to uh 32. So I just remember what I remember about how we could start and it got us all in a tent and then all hell broke loose, you know, uh, M80s flash crashes, uh, weapons going off. It's uh, they call it the breakout, but it's just the kind of, it's just chaos. And so you're getting wet, you're running in the ocean, you're back and forth and guys are quitting guys start quitting. I mean, the bell starts ringing. God, it just seemed like five, ten minutes into the show, people are quitting already. And the bell rang a lot uh, our first night. We went, we went through Hell Week in February. Uh, and so you get winter Hell Weeks, you get summer Hell Weeks. Predominance of winter Hell Weeks is you spend a little more time in the water because the water is colder. And the summer is a little bit more physical related because the water warms up. So summer week classes are normally lower numbers um, get through just because of the cold weather, water. And San Diego is nice, but at night it gets cool. You get that offshore breeze and uh, it gets, you know, the temps drop. So you're always wet and sandy and cold and miserable. And all you do is just follow. The instructors have a plan. It's funny. When I got in the teams, I would talk. I, I never worked at Bud's as an instructor, but I talked about folks. Who, I talked to folks that worked there, and Bud's training is probably the most controlled, evaluated training in the U.S. military. And uh, and so there's a lot of oversight, a lot of. But when as a student, when you go through it, it's just you know, hey. So you take little sayings, and and what I always remembered is you take. Hell week, one meal at a time. And so you try, we started dinner. I wanted to, on Sunday night, I wanted to see Monday morning breakfast and then I wanted to make it to lunch and then I wanted to make it to dinner and kind of in each day, every meal you got to just knocked off more and more of the week. So, um, it was hard around Tuesday. Um, they they just have you on the go. It's, You're just go, 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 however you want to You're swimming, you're rowing your boat, uh, you're carrying a 250-pound IBS on your head with your boat crew, usually about seven to eight guys with you, and uh, you're just running everywhere around San Diego or Coronado, so to speak, running up and down berms with it. It's just really physically demanding, and it takes a toll on you, and in the meantime, you're not getting much sleep. So uh, I think somewhere in the week they schedule, I'm told, eight 15-minute blocks of sleep. Um, I would argue that, but I, I, I don't think I got my first, our class didn't get our first sleep opportunity to like late Tuesday night. And how many hours is that? That's almost 48 hours we've been up, you know, so, and that was just a quick 15, 20 minute sleep and then we we're right back at it again so one of the things they teach you about hell week is but some of the rewards is every hell week is always there's just a lot of racing goes on so you always race your boat crews, and as an officer they're always seeing how you lead and and as you get more tired and and disillusional a little bit you know your mind starts going after being awake and getting pushed and you're physically exerting yourself and pushing yourself you know as an officer you got to lead the masses you've got to do all this so the Instructors are really hard watching you as you perform, you know, but if you win, you know, sometimes you get a little extra sleep, uh, you get an extra food or something. So um, it went, it went, went, went and day. And then we got to Friday. I don't, I I don't know how, I just took it. I have my own little secret and maybe I'll share it with you how I got through, (laughs) You know, it's we got to Friday and got to Friday morning. Some traditional events you hear about throughout the week, and we got so we got to the demo pit, that big mud pit uh, that we spend about six hours. We spent all Friday morning going through it. Just it was just the the, all the instructors come out. It's the last go around for them to get their shot at the class before we uh, secure. And uh, and I remember. Usually they try to secure about noon on Friday, and uh, and we didn't get secured until two thirty I think that day, and I found out later is because the senior officer uh, coming over to secure us was the base commanding officer, and he had a luncheon that ran late, and so he he uh, he got delayed coming over to secure us, and in the meantime we took that boat and we were running up and down the berm. For like another two and a half hours waiting to get secured so but once we did uh it's it's pretty cool i gotta tell you it's a great feeling it's uh it's it's a big step it really is you know and but you're beat up i mean it's you are a mess and uh and uh it was it was hard but uh i don't know if that explained it but uh
0: yeah that that explained it perfectly and it's like it's gotta be so tough too. I mean, you had close to I don't know the exact number, but close to fifty people that quit, right? Close to and I, I can only imagine when you hear that bell ring and you're you haven't slept in three days and you're beat up and you're battered and you're cold and you're sandy. Just the the thought of a warm shower and sleeping in your bed must must be the nicest thought that you've ever had. So it's like when you saw your brothers quitting, probably people in your in your crew in on your boat team how did you keep the mental fortitude to uh, to keep pushing through?
1: Uh, you ignore it, you know. It, it's going to happen whether you like it or not, and uh, and the only one I really remember, it happened so fast. Like I said, our first night, that bell was ringing all night. So every time you'd muster up with your boat crew, you'd have you'd be less people in there. And then they would merge you up with another boat crew. And next thing you know, as an officer, you have to be accountable for your new people. So it was changing. It was just constantly changing all the time. And you have to kind of, you're aware of it, but you can't focus on it because you're going living through your own hell, you know? And and the bell is, it's just that it's too easy, you know? It's, all I got to do is walk over there and read it three times and I'll get a cup of coffee and I'll be out of this misery it's always there. It's always present. So if you want to make it through, you got to you got to push through it. I will remember one night a good buddy of mine, another officer. He's a great, great guy and uh, great athlete at the academy. Academy grad, all American cross country guy, and he uh, he was just having a hard time with the cold water, and uh, and everybody knew it. Instructors knew it, and uh, they he. They they wanted us to go back into the water and hit the surf zone, and uh, he couldn't do it. And he broke away and started running away to to the bell. And a bunch of us went over and tackled him, tried to convince him. Wow, no way! You can't you can't you can't do this. And and uh, and the instructor just came up and says you can't stop everybody. You know, wow, he, he had quit and and uh, and he rang the bell. But as you know, as a student you kind of have to forget about it and just go back to what you're doing and and kind of take care of yourself. But as an officer, again, got to take care of your, your guys and your boat crew and keep going, you know? So.
0: Wow. I think that's, that's a,
1: tough.
0: it's a powerful lesson too. It's like, you know, even, even for people that are listening, it's like, look, you really do have to focus on yourself and you can show people the way but it's like when, if someone's doing something, it's like, it, it's really tough to change them, right? So like this guy made up his mind to go ring that bell. You guys did your best to go tackle him. But at the end of the day, his mind was made up. He was ringing that bell. He was going to quit. And I think that's applicable to, to real life too. It's like when people are, are going down bad paths or they're, you know, you see something differently than them, you can't really try to force yourself to change people. It's like, you got to focus on yourself and try to show and lead by example. But at, at the end of the day, people are going to do what they want.
1: Yeah, basically, I mean, it's hard. I mean, is. I always say as a leader, whatever profession you're in, you try to take care of your people and do the best you can and nurture and grow them. But in reality, you know, if they don't want to play, they don't want to play team ball. They don't want to be a team player. Now you got to let them go. And that's kind of the way it was, you know, and it was really weird because I don't know if I'm sure we're going to talk about it, but I had my own moment early in the week where I, I had thought about quitting and uh, you know, how I kind of overgot overcame that so
0: yeah let's let's jump into that so what 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 was the moment that you wanted to quit like what was going on in your head what day was it let's let's dive into that story
1: that well, was it was uh tuesday you know wednesday morning about uh two and more so <laughs> yeah and i remember i remember everything about hell week some guys when i go back to my reunions they're like what you know and i don't remember any of that but i remember hell week almost everything and what happened was uh We just, we'd been gone. We hadn't been asleep yet. 48 hours since the beginning. And we're just kind of running ragged and we were down. uh, uh, We were, it was late. We'd been played. We played in a mud pit for about eight hours and uh, doing whatever, whatever you think you could do in the muds. That's what we did. It was miserable. It was cold, miserable, nasty, rainy. Um, And finally we got a break to uh, have, uh, what they call mid rats. And, uh, we were, so we were getting some food and, uh, we were far away, away from the base. So we, uh, we weren't going to go to the chow hall. So they brought the food to us in boxed lunches. And so, you know, we, we kind of started eating our box lunches. And the next thing I know, uh, the instructors went by us and started throwing sand in on us as we were eating and drinking and, and ruined everything you know, so what I did, you know, you kind of expect this, you know, but what I did is I saved the, one of those little four ounce milk cartons, you know, and I, I put it under my neck and, you know, as an officer, they always know where the officers are. <laughs> so they're always like, I, I was getting sand dumped on me. I don't know how, long. finally, you know, I'm looking all around and And they're over there focused on my other classmates. So I said, I got this milk. I'm going to drink it real quick. And I opened it up and I put it to my lips and I just started drinking. And this big thing of sand comes and knocks the milk out of my hand. And I watched it drop to the sand and all the milk went into the crevices. And I just felt all my motivation follow that milk into the sand crevices. And I'm like, you know geez, what the fuck am I doing, okay? And so I started, I kind of, i lost my edge, my focus. So what, well, hey, it was part of the process. I started feeling sorry for myself. And so we went to our first sleep break and I kind of mentioned to somebody in my boat crew that I was thinking of quitting. Wow. Uh, somehow when we got to our sleep we set everything up. I had just started to fall asleep. And all of a sudden, I just hear this, Ensign Havillie, get the fuck over here, you know. And and I heard the distinctive voice of my uh, proctor, my class proctor, who was a SEAL instructor, who is kind of the go between the training cadre and the class. And he can be your friend or he can be your worst enemy. Just depends on how the class makes him look in in the long run. And so I hear this god, this voice at two in the morning, you know. And he goes, "Get the fuck over here!" So I run over, and he's standing by the fire, of course, nice warm fire about ten yards away, and uh, and I'm shaking and I'm shivering and everything because I'm cold, wet, and sandy. You know, it was, yeah. it's a Sunday night, and uh, and I'm standing there, and he walks up to me and goes, "Ensign Havoc, I hear you want to quit," and uh, I was like, "Wow, how the hell did he hear that?" You know. And uh and I said, well, I'm thinking about it. And he goes, why? And uh and I couldn't really give him a good answer. I, I said, well, you know, mumbling himself. Yeah, like, eh, you know, maybe this is it for me. And I always remember this guy, we called him instructor psycho because he could he could switch like that, you know. And uh and I always remember and I try to when I tell people this story is I, I tried to uh, associate it with uh, the movie uh, Platoon. And at the end, when uh, that sergeant, uh, they were getting napalmed and he had the uh, pitch or the shovel and he was about ready to kill Charlie Sheenan and his eyes lit up and there was everything. And that's the way that guy, I swear to God, the guy just turned it on. And I, I felt his eyes like burning down into my soul. And, uh, and he just came up to me. and He goes, Ensign Havlick, you're an officer. Stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about your men. And and he kind of stepped back. And he goes, do you understand what I just said? And I, I said, so I think so. And he goes, stop thinking about yourself and your woes and take care of your people. And everything will be okay. And then I was like, okay, I think I get it. And then he says, I'm going to go over here to the fire and I'm going to get a cup of coffee. And then I'm going to come back and get your decision on whether you want to stay with the class or not. Or not. So as he's walking to the fire, he turns around and goes, but Ensign havoc don't make a decision in 30 seconds. You'll regret the rest of your life. You know, so I'm sitting there shaking. Wow. It's like, okay, you know. Now, what's important to me is... The instructors are mostly enlisted and they really like to see a lot of officers quit, you know. And uh, I think they get the little notches kind of like the the guy in uh, Officer and the Gentleman, you know, every notch here is for every guy I've made quit. And so I know the, the enlisted guys are always, you know, they're going to make officers quit. But I, somehow in all that fog and cold and everything, I kind of told myself that this guy sees something in me that I'm not, you know, and this, that I'm the type of officer they would like to see in the teams. And, you know, so he came back with his cup of coffee and he goes, what's your decision? And I said, I'm gonna go back to the class. And he goes, good, let's never talk about this again. And I was, and I went back and I finished and, and i tell you it's the best, best advice I ever got, best thing I ever happened. Cause I, if I'd have quit, I never would've gotten to do what I did for 29 years you know, and work with great people and do some fun stuff, travel the world. Uh, I probably would have been like that officer I told you about who quit. And I saw him about three years later in Hawaii when I was over there doing some training, we were out having a beer and, and he told me just up front, he's like, coach, I never, I haven't, I, I can't forget quitting. You know, it, it, it affected him so much and what happened. And he kept thinking about it that, was such an impact on his life and what he was doing that uh, he regretted quitting, you know? And so very, very appreciative of that instructor who saw something more in in me than I was doing at that time and gave me that opportunity because they didn't have to do that at all. They could have let me quit and I just would have been number number and gone. So I tried to carry that over and that's when Hell Week, I put Hell Week into perspective. Um, Yeah, it, it sucked. But my buddies were, and my classmates were sucking too. And we just had to kind of lean each other and get through it, you know, and that's, and that's kind of how I approach it. And I carried that with me throughout my career.
0: Wow. I'll tell you what, that story gave me goosebumps the whole time. You know, that don't.
1: Sucked. Yeah. When I saw that milk going down in the sand, I was one unhappy camper.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're sleep deprived, you're cold, you're wet. You think you've got a little bit of milk and then boom, you get hit with sand again, but it's just a phenomenal story. You know, the fact that, cause you're right. He could have just been an asshole to you and, and said, Oh, you want to quit, go quit now. Right. He could have said that, but it's like he gave you that motivation that you needed. And there's also something too. It's like he made you flip your perspective to stop thinking about yourself and everything that was going on and to start thinking about your brothers. And it's like, I think that yeah. is the perspective change that you needed.
1: Oh, uh, I think always think seal training is a little weird. You know, everybody goes there for different reasons, you know, and But I think Kel Week is kind of a reality check of what you signed up for and what you're going to face in the future. And if this isn't your cup of tea, then you need to kind of go, go away and go do some other stuff. So, uh, like I said, best, best advice i ever gotten. And I'm very, very grateful to that instructor to this day.
0: Man, that's incredible. That's a, a phenomenal story. And, you know, it, it's pretty cool, too, because you had a 29-year career as a Navy SEAL after that. So it's like, if you never got that advice, who knows where you'd be? Who knows what you would have done? But obviously, you know, you've had a phenomenal career. So after completing Navy SEAL team, what's after that? Do you guys do more training or is it straight to, you know, your first deployment as a Navy SEAL?
1: Well, I was, everybody thinks, you know, SEAL training ends after hell week and... <laughs> It really just starts. So, you know, you go into like diving, you do some really intensive diving and then you do uh, the next phase, at least when I was going through did diving and then you did land warfare. And that's kind of where you do all the small unit tactics stuff. You dress up, camo up, shoot guns, blow up stuff, you know, all the fun stuff. Diving is really our forte, you know, and oh, even though I had a great exposure to the water and I felt comfortable, diving, I thought diving was the hardest part of SEAL training it, because the intensity of the training, we were diving two to three times a day uh, and those are long evolutions and you're cold and wet and miserable again and doing it all over and you just kept doing this and doing it for about eight weeks and uh, and everything ratcheted up because again our forte as a SEAL is the water in maritime and you had to be good at diving and so That was hard and then really the attention, the instructors hit you hard on attention to detail, making sure you're prepped, um, just little things like that. And as an officer, you know, you got to make sure the guys are on schedule, the safety gear is there, everybody's ready to go. They've got all their gear and equipment. Um, It was hard, you know. But then, you you, you know, everything ends on Friday and then you spend your whole weekend prepping for Monday, you know. So SEAL training is just a, a loop, you know, a continuous loop. And that's why I say the grind of swimming was really helped me get through the grind of SEAL training. But then you get through, you know, went down, learned how to jump out of a perfectly good airplane or airplane with uh, at airborne school down in Fort Benning, Georgia. Even though I had grown up in Army Brad, it was really my first exposure to working with the Army. And uh, so that was always interesting. And then you go to your first SEAL team and you kind of just start developing. Everybody's career is different. Everybody, how it, how it kind of branches out uh, once you leave Bud's training. So um, I did, uh, I did two, I did one platoon at SEAL Team 1 and, uh, and that was good, you know, great being in a platoon. That's what it's all about. You know, it's just it's great, you know, it's what you go through training for, it's what everything, but it's hard as a, as a uh, junior officer and a leader, everybody's, you have gotta lead a bunch of high, hard charging type A personalities looking at you to make decisions, you know? So you gotta have your shit together, you know? But it was fun. I had a great time, uh, worked hard, played hard, uh, had a good time. Then I went to SEAL Team 3, did two platoons, uh, deployed overseas. Uh last one when I was in charge, I was an officer in charge and uh, had the great highlight. Uh maybe. Um, I'm not sure this is on everybody's bucket list, but on my second platoon uh I was actually shot by uh, another SEAL. What in a training accident? Yeah. So I got yeah, it was
0: no way. Where were you shot? Where where do they uh shoot you?
1: I was shot in the yarn. Uh it was uh we were doing some fast rope training in Guam and uh, you know, the high speed sliding down the rope stuff, which is really cool. But it was a Friday of a three day weekend and uh, we'd finish up about two o'clock and we were done. And we were getting ready to have a good weekend, have some fun, putting everything away, putting all the gear away. And we had, uh, because we were practicing and training with all our gear, to include weapons, our our standard operating procedure, at least one person in the platoon carries live ammunition, just in case somebody (laughs) decided, hey, I'm gonna fuck with the platoon of SEALs and try to steal their gear. Yeah. So so we, one guy was carrying uh, the live rounds and uh, he had a brain fart and forgot how to make his weapons safe. So uh, when he was putting the gun away, instead of hitting the safety lever, he pulled the trigger round went off and, uh, and there was about 40 guys in his helo hangar. So somehow the round missed everybody and I'm bent over pulling my civilian gear clothes out to change from my flight suit and everything else. And the next thing I know, I, I looked down on my flight and I felt my arm, I heard this large explosion cause we're inside of a helo hangar. So everything amplified and got huge. And the next thing I learned, my arm kind of jerks back. And I turn around, and guy, he's standing there like, you know, the gun's still smoking in his hand. And all these other guys are standing around like, you know, what the fuck just happened? And I look down at my flight suit, and I had a hole in my flight suit, and I put it, I'm like, it's bleeding and everything. And I'm like, oh, man, I just got shot. So, next thing I know, Corman came over, laid me down. <laughs> they put me in a gurney. And five minutes later, I'm on – I'm on a helo, they were still turning from our training, and uh, I'm on a Hilo heading to the Naval Hospital in Guam to get a bullet taken out of my arm. And so, but the funny thing is, is on the way over, uh, one of the engines on the helicopter flamed out. <laughs> so we landed at the hospital, we hit hard. So we had an in- in-air mid-flight emergency. And when we got there, there was, fire engines and everything to take care of the helicopter. And then I had a full team to take care of me. Cause there's nothing, nothing going on on the island of Guam <laughs> At two o'clock on a Friday afternoon. So I had every hospital, I had every doctor, I had every nurse, I had every corpsman standing by to take care of me. And, uh, yeah, so that was my highlighted three day weekend was getting a bullet taken out of my arm. So,
0: wow. And how long were you out for? After that
1: that bullet well it was it was kind of weird because uh I, you know i was i was deployed as platoon commander so you know they sent somebody over to replace me and i'm like no 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 i this ain't gonna happen you know i luckily i had the best case of a worst scenario and i had a little damage but and it didn't touch my nerves or anything so i was very very lucky so yeah i told him They sent somebody over, they wanted to send me back home. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to finish this deployment. So I basically had three weeks to recover and to be back on full duty. And basically what happened was once I got the stitches out, I had to do 10 pull-ups and and show that I had no effects from the because I got shot in the forearm. And uh, so I had to prove to them that I was capable and ready to stay in charge and be operational. So that was, uh, that was a highlight of, or a low light of, you know, being in charge. So once I did the, once I did the platoon aspect, then I went over back over to the Philippines again for a year, um, kind of as my first staff job. And then I had a great highlight. I screened and went to the uh, uh, Naval Special Warfare Development Group uh, after that and spent about two and a half years there. Probably uh, the highlight of my career, um, yeah, operationally kick-ass, uh, hard, really hard to get there. And then you know, the hard part is uh, before you even get into a an operational team, you have to go through another BUDS-type training. So it was BUDS on steroids for six months. Wow. You know, so um it was hard so you had to get interviewed you had to interview you had to be screened you had to be selected and then you had to go through this big selection process so uh, before you even got the okay to to make your get into operational team so went through there and i was a class leader for that and that was that was that was hard it was
0: And do me a favor too, and it, like I did some research on it. But for the people that are listening right now, can you kind of just explain as much as you can? If some's classified, we'll leave it out. But just kind of explain what the Naval Special Warfare Development Group is.
1: It's the most elite operational team in in the SEALs. You know, now the guys, you know, in the regular teams are good to go, but it's kind of a compilation. Uh, folks volunteer, uh, and to even get considered it to dev group. You need to have deployed, been operational, done well as an officer. You had to be an officer in charge. And that's why if I would have relieved when I got shot, I never would have gotten the opportunity. So I had to finish out my deployment in order to help me get selected. And it's just you're heavily interviewed. It's the best of the best. And wow. it's, so uh, you know, they say BUDS training. Yeah, The average attrition rate is about Seventy-five percent quit. Who start? You know, same thing at debt group. Uh, about fifty percent don't make it. Wow. So they're taking the best of the best, and fifty percent of them don't make it. Uh, it's it's really hard. It's very challenging. And so it was a great, but a great opportunity and a lot of fun. Uh, just it was the highlight. Yeah, it was the highlight operationally of my career. Yeah.
0: Well, that's, that's incredible. And I really am in the presence of greatness right now talking to you. I got to ask though. So you've made it through, you know, debatably two of the hardest things on earth, right? They're up there. Like the, the two trainings and the two things that you've made it through. How do you do it? Like, how do you, how do you shut off that little weak mind that a lot of people have in their heads and push through debatably the hardest things on earth, the hardest trainings on earth? Like, what is it for you? How do you get through these things?
1: A lot of it for me has always been people telling me that I couldn't do it or questioning why I wanted to do it. I always remember, you know, when I went to West Virginia, I wasn't heavily recruited. Uh, But I said, what an opportunity. And I just kept trying to get faster. I wanted to be the fastest I could be, you know, and I wanted to prove people wrong. It was kind of the same way I did when I, when I, when I was coaching at the Naval Academy, when I, people that I was going to quit coaching and go try out to be a seal seals are huge at the Naval Academy. It's like Moses, you know, when a seal walks into you just see a midshipman part, you know, <laughs> and he just walks, they walk through. And I said, I want to be like that guy, you know? And, uh, and I just wanted to do it because it was a challenge. It was unique. And that's kind of the way I've lived my life. You, I want to do unique and challenging things. Help until they put me in the grave, you know. And and I saw this as a great opportunity. I was in the perfect place, the academy, to help me. You know, first I wanted to get my commission, and then I wanted to go to SEAL training after that. And it was in the perfect venue. Uh, the academy did everything they could uh, to help me along my career choice, and so but every, but everybody said, you're not going to make it. I, I don't know how many people ever told me because the attrition rate at buds is so high. And, uh, and so many guys at the Academy try to do it and they don't make it or they don't get selected or whatever. And here I was getting this opportunity and, uh, and they just kept telling me, no, no, no. You know? And then when I got into the teams, dev group's the best and I wanted to go and try. I always, I didn't want to tell myself when I got out, however long I was in the Navy, what if, you know, what if I went to damn it? I never wanted to do that. I wanted, I wanted to try. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to work with the best. I wanted to lead the best. And that's what I did. And uh, that's, so that's why I did it.
0: Yeah.
1: So you approached life.
0: So you, you, you really use the people doubting you and people saying that you're not going to make it through as motivation to prove them wrong and to make it through.
1: Absolutely, it's uh, it's maybe that little chip on the shoulder or whatever, but you know, it, it it took a lot of belief in in myself, you know, and so you know, when you're surrounded by people who don't think you're going to do it, you really got to reach down and believe in yourself that yeah, I can do this, you know, and that's kind of the way I approached it, you know, is I'm going to do this, and uh, despite what other folks say, because I want to be unique. I liked being unique. I liked the challenge and that's the way it was. I I firmly believe as a Navy SEAL, if you don't try out for damn neck or at least interview, then you're now why are you a SEAL? I know you all get argument and lots of folks that don't do it or whatever will say that's bullshit, you know and but now I—that's kind of the way I approached it. So I wanted to make the most, at least operationally, before I got relegated to the desk, you know, as an officer. Uh, as I became more senior, I wanted to do everything I could operationally, and that was the ultimate.
0: And it, I, I think you did. It sounds like you did. And is there an age too? like, is there kind of like, you know, when you play sports, it's like once you get 35, 40, you're kind of towards the end of the end of your career. Is that also the same thing with actually, you know, being on service and, and deployed as a Navy SEAL?
1: Um, Shake my cobwebs up. I think the the age without a waiver to go through SEAL training is 28. And I was 26 when I started uh and then with seal training there's really no age limit or or at damn there's really no age limit it's uh no the older you get um you know seals is a young man's game you know <laughs> So yeah. the older you get uh, it's hard on your body and uh, and so uh but, you know i just tried it so as long as they give me the opportunity that's that's kind of way i approached it
0: yeah. Yeah. I was just curious because like, you know, we see pro athletes and it's sad when they, when they get there, but it's like, they, they kind of, you know, it's like a fine wine. It's like, well, some get better with age, like Tom Brady and LeBron James with all right. the attention that's coming to, you know, exercise and what they're putting in their body and uh, all the rest and recovery that we have. But I figured with the the brutal trainings that you guys are going through that, you know, and obviously it's like when you're younger, you're more agile, you're quicker, you're better. So I was wondering uh, if there was that age range, but I'm sure too. Wow. Go ahead.
1: I went through, when I went through damn Neck, I was 32, you know, so about six years. Yeah. Graduated. Um, So I was still in peak, you know, I, yeah. to this day, I love working out. I, I'm a mess when I don't, you know. Yeah. Then I tried to carry over, but I kept myself in good shape. I had some injuries, but uh, I, I was still young enough, but you know, the thing about kind of the way we look at it is what rank it's not so much your age it's what your rank there is kind of determines where you go you know so
0: absolutely and i'm sure you know that the navy. you know being a, a navy seal awarded you so many incredible opportunities for your life you've met so many people uh but i imagine you traveled too i mean have you have you calculated how many countries you've been to and, and what the travel
1: was like that's a great question jake thanks for asking me yeah, uh, yeah i looked it up uh, And uh, and if my calculations are correct, I traveled to 37 countries, and I think I've hit 43 states. So, You know, during my career. So uh, the overseas assignments were always uh, not just deployments. I I did seven deployments throughout my career, but I also did three overseas assignments. So I did in Philippines, Panama, and Bahrain, and that was post-9-11, like one month after 9-11. So uh all overseas assignments are are hard, you know, especially that one in Bahrain. But it was cool. Bahrain was an interesting place and I'm glad I did it. So yeah, it's been great. You know, I I love traveling. It's going to cool places and new places. So
0: let me ask you too. It's like obviously you weren't there on vacation and lounging on the beach, but what was, you know, probably your your favorite place that you've been to uh on duty?
1: Well, Thailand, I did a lot of lounging, and <laughs> <laughs> so Thailand was good. Uh, Singapore was nice, and uh, Bahrain was interesting. Just uh Arab culture and living there. It was yeah. and the time and at, at what was going on at the time was. It was. I, I will say, besides damn Neck, it was the one time in my career where I woke up and I would go to bed and I said this is what I trained for you know and and uh he was hard it was long but it made getting up and going to work worthwhile enough.
0: yeah and and this was right after 911 too so I mean obviously I'd love to dive in this a little bit Bahrain post 911 I know you were high, very high ranking at this time I mean, what what was your job what was your duty in Bahrain as a Navy seal there
1: we had a, we have a unit, we have a SEAL unit over there. And so I was the executive officer, number two guy. Uh, we were there for a presence, you know, we had our own little thing going on. But once 9-11 kicked in, everything just kind of amplified. So we had people coming into theater, going off to Afghanistan, or wherever else we had to go. And we were really the conduit in the Middle East for Naval Special Warfare. of what was going on in the world at the time, you know, and, uh, and so being the XO, I was, uh, I ran the unit, you know, I, the commanding officer, uh, he'd go to the meetings and, you know, whatever else he had to do. And I had to run the unit. I had to make sure we were functioning and, and it was extremely challenging and difficult because we were sending guys forward uh, from the unit to go in Afghanistan and support what was going on. So as our mission got bigger, I was losing people and I wasn't getting replacements from, <laughs> from the states. So, our, we, you know, it was hard for me to keep people focused. Uh, they had to start doing extracurricular or they had to do extra duties. And in the meantime, I've got guys with families over there because they're, they're on assignment. And you have to really worry about them because uh, they're living out in town, you know. And there's no security and other stuff like that. So, because the base over there is really small. And uh, so there's a lot to it was a lot to juggle, not just the operational side of the house, but when you run and learn to take care of your people, you got families, that's a huge piece, you know. Uh, it's easy when the guys or the gals go to work and do their thing, but they leave people behind that are kind of living out in the economy in Bahrain, and you got to take care of them and think about it. So It was a lot moving on, but it was great. It was, uh, I think back on it all the time. I, it was fun. It was hard, but it was fun and it was good and it was worthwhile. So very cool.
0: Yeah. I think what you said, you know, that that's what you trained for kind of, you know, summarizes that it's like, that was probably what some of the most challenging, tough times and and some of the most like impactful and meaningful times that you, you had as a seal is, is what it sounds like.
1: Yeah. It was, like I said, when I went to bed, I, I could look in the mirror and you know give myself two thumbs up. And then even though I was dead tired and I didn't get much sleep, I get, I get up the next day knowing that yeah, I was making a difference. Or our unit or our guy, our people were making a difference. And and that's yeah, that's what we train for. Yeah.
0: Wow. Fascinating. I mean, very, very fascinating. First off, to even Want to be a Navy SEAL, you know, is just is just incredible. And then to make it through Hell Week and make it through Buds and twenty nine years, uh, you know, as a Navy SEAL, you know, joining the Naval Special Warfare Development Group, everything you've done, I think, is just incredible. So I I can speak for myself. Everybody listening, you know, we're very thankful for your service and and what you've done. And I think uh, that was a great recap on the twenty nine years. We got a lot more to cover here, but. Uh, just phenomenal, and I appreciate you opening up and telling those stories about you getting shot, and you know the, the time you wanted to quit, and the mentality. I, I've learned a lot, and I'm sure a lot of people will get a lot of value from this as well.
1: Well, it's funny. It's I always think about being shot because what usually what happens is uh, if it could, if an incident could cause press interest, the Navy has to put out certain messages to kind of you know get ahead of the ball game, so to speak. And I always remember they put out this message about me being shot. And I was home off deployment, that deployment at a, some friend's house party and they had put it on the walls, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm writing my name and everything. And, and people were like reading the message and never and go. and one of my good friends, he goes, hey, who's John Havlick? And, and somebody goes, it's Coach. And he goes, you got shot? And was, <laughs> I was like, yeah. And he goes, you know, that was your name. All I thought your name was Coach. So it's all it's all kind of funny and how it all ties together. But I loved being a seal. you are good and bad. But again, I'm so grateful for the opportunity that instructor gave me to rethink what I was thinking of doing. And I I um I, I loved it. And I I love being in the military. I I I, I love being overseas on the holidays uh, so that others could stay home. Wow. Even though I have a have family too, you know, but I loved everything about the military. I'm glad I did it and I miss it. I miss being a SEAL. Yeah. Still.
0: Man, that's, that's incredible. 29, 29 amazing years. But uh, afterwards, I mean, what are you, what are you up to now? Are you still associated with the Navy are you working in the Navy or what are you kind of doing now?
1: Well, I kind of cut away. I demilitarized myself, uh, so to speak. And uh, I've kind of tried to you know, again, I think I mentioned I always want to try things unique and challenging in life. And uh, so I I could have gotten a job on base and just carried on, did what I do. And I said, no, I I gave, I gave my all. I'm good with it. Let's go on. Life There's other things in life to do. And so, you know, I kind of got into, as I'm trying to figure this out, I, I got into public speaking. Uh, I co-authored a book. You know, I started, you know, that was all good things that I've done with friends of mine uh, that I never thought I would do. And uh, so I've been doing that. But then the last year and a half, I got a very unique opportunity and to go back to school. And so now I am enrolled in a uh, executive doctoral program at the university of Pennsylvania. And so when I tell people that they're like, what are you doing going back to school or your age? And, and I said, cause I'm going, because I want to go to an Ivy League school. And, uh, and I had the GI Bill, and I'd be foolish not to use it. And so, and I knew this program was tough. Um, got a great class from all over the world. Uh, entrepreneurs, CEOs, everything, you know. So it's a great networking venue, but it's hard. It's really hard. And I'm about a year and a half into a three-year program. But the good news is... And I don't know if I told you this, but uh, my master's season got approved. So I will be getting an Ivy League master's in May, uh, which is pretty cool, you know, en route to to getting my doctorate hopefully next year. So that's what I'm doing now. And that's full time because Penn does not make it easy. And it's very challenging, but very rewarding. It's been perfect during this pandemic, kept me busy. And I always, I'm a firm believer and I'll tell anybody this is you can always go to school. You can always, and even as a leader, you can always learn. And that's what I'm doing. I'm learning and I'm growing. I'm continuing to grow. And, and you know, and it helps me when I speak, if I can go in front of a, a corporate audience or a C-suite or whatever and go, yeah, I'm in Penn, man. You know, I'm, I'm going for my doctorate. And when I talk to school classes and stuff as I was like, I'm going through the same pain you are writing papers and all this I'm on zoom uh, I miss going in class in person so it's really been kind of great for me to to just stay busy and stay relevant and just kind of learn more and more and that's kind of the way I, I approach life right now is I want to keep learning and growing and that's what I'm doing
0: Wow. Is there anything you can't do, coach? I mean, Navy SEAL, 29 years, getting the doctorate at an Ivy League school. It's like, this is, it's incredible.
1: Uh, Can't dance. (laughs) Me neither, man. My hips are too tight. I'm not doing well on the dating scene, so (laughs) if anybody help me out. (laughs)
0: Hey, apparently my mom's the matchmaker on Harbor Island, so we can uh, put a word word in with her.
1: Yeah, I need to hang around her a little bit more probably. (laughs) Definitely.
0: That's you know, awesome. Uh,
1: no, it's good. I mean, I, 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 I don't think consider myself. I never really consider myself special, but, but I, you know, when I was in the Navy, you know, why everybody says, why did you become a SEAL? I like what I did, but I also, I tell everybody, and I pull out my trident and say, I wanted to wear this pin, you know, and it's just thirteen ninety five at the uh, exchange, you know. But when you wear it, everybody knows what it means and how hard it, uh, how hard it is to get, and and I wanted to wear the pin. That's why I did it, you know. So I, I, I just you know, hopefully when if I slow down, I can look back and go, I did I had a pretty good life, you know. So that's kind of that's kind of why I do it. So uh, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I mean,
0: very impressive life. I mean, you'll look back and it, it sounds like pretty much you know anything you've put your mind to, you're you're you've already accomplished, or you're on your route to, which is you know this Ivy League doctorate. But I mean, well, just I
1: gotta, I gotta tell you every day, <laughs> this I go through this doctorate. I am I got my master's, but now I'm having a hard time kind of narrowing down to the topic I'm gonna do my research and stuff. So anybody's got any good ideas? Uh, I wrote my thesis on coping. With military deployment stress, so I kind of want to stay in that area because what I really want to do is, we still have too many service members coming home off deployment with mental health issues, and uh, and I want to help reduce those numbers. So, kind of looking at focusing on areas while a service member is on deployment, offering up tips and strategies to dealing with stress and coping with it, and not coming home with issues, you know.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a tough, tough topic because it's like, you know, I'm sure you know better than anybody. It's, it's tough when you're, you're, you know, in, in battle and you're losing brothers and, you know, your, your best friends and you, you have to come back to a normal life and the trauma. But I mean, what are, what are the, the leading topics right now? Like what what's being suggested for, you know, mental health for people coming back?
1: Well, my, my issue with what's going on is they wait until people come home to do studies Yeah where we should be studying them while they're actually executing the deployment. So yeah. you identify the problems sooner. And if they need treatment or whatever, you can start them so nothing escalates to something more severe. And that's kind of, but that comes with some limitations. I mean, when you're on deployment, you're not there to do research, you know, or last thing you want is somebody watching you or conducting a study on you. So you balance it on the whole thing and i understand most availability to a a potential study group is you'll get them when they come home not when they're in theater but i think that's too long and so yeah but i kind of just look at what i did and what others did and uh i don't know i i think i came back okay but uh it's not just it's not just service members i mean the family the families have their own stress to go through. You know, the separation, the stress that comes with separation is, and the unknown is uh, hard on both cases. And then when you come home, you know, the service member comes home and he wants to chill out or he or she wants to chill out. Next thing you know, your, your family changes while you're gone. And people have a hard time coping with that. You know, I always remember the guys coming we Come off deployment, and about a week after being home, they'd be like, I need to get back on the road again. My wife is like, "Honey, need to do list, and the kids are crazy, you know. And and all the stuff the wife had to take care of, you know. And I just began, I'm talking in a male centric organization that I've been in for the yeah, most, you know, they you know, the wife's been handling all this. you gotta, you, and she's been doing a great job and taking care of it all. And now, all of a sudden, the guy comes home and is like, Jesus, somebody like. I'd rather be deployed. It was easier when I was deployed. So stress is all over and it encompasses a whole range of the deployment from the beginning to the very end, you know? So, and and the military has taken really good steps towards fixing that and everything. But we still, my argument is there's still too many guys come and gals coming home with issues. We need to, there's, there's gotta be a cultural shift a little bit in the military to handle mental health. In treatment uh, better.
0: Yeah. And it's almost like being proactive is, is probably the best solution, like you're saying. Like, you know, it's tough because they're on deployment and it's like, are they going to want to talk to a therapist, you know, at night after a, you know, a day yeah. in the field? But it's, it's almost like when you wait too long, it's tough to be able to make any positive changes. But if you can kind of, even before they get deployed, right? Like even before they even go into hell week, maybe start with some sort of training. Like you're training your body, you're training your, your mind you know, maybe to be able to open up and talk about things and, you know, just, just doing studies for what's working for people, I think is the, the best option.
1: Yeah. it's, you know, it's, I work with a foundation, um, very supportive of this one foundation. One of the guest speakers they have is a former POW from Vietnam. And he was a pilot shot down for six years and they've done studies of POWs and percentage is like 4% of the POWs uh, have some kind of mental health issue. So why such a low percentage of them coming home when we have 20 to 40% of our folks coming home right now with mental health issues, you know, what's, it's always, we haven't really, we haven't done too much of that, you know, and, um, I know folks are trying to do the best thing and there's a lot of programs out there. and I totally get it. I'm on board with it, but I, I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm not popping pills or, Taking medications or whatever, and if you can go workout or you can do some health self-help like yoga or meditation or something else, or you, you play music or you work with plants or whatever, disengages you from being on the go and you know ready to kill, so to speak. We need to do better at that, you know, and and not just and one of the way I feel is whatever I study in the military. Can be applied to whatever in life. You can, business is stressful. Students is, you know, I can apply it to being an athlete and a coach. and Stress is huge there. So, whatever I, I at least that's my my big picture is whatever I get it, study and I get through this and find the results that I can share it in really any occupation uh, you can think of because there's stress everywhere.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, some of the things that I do personally is like yoga, meditation, you know, watching what I'm eating, limiting the amount of alcohol, getting eight hours of sleep. Like there's, there's a lot of things that can help, but obviously everybody's, you know, situation is different, especially when you're overseas to, you know, the life that I've been afforded, but there are ways, and I think there's more research coming out on, on, on healthier ways to take care of yourself.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just found, and I, I'm sure probably everybody agree, you know, sleep is really, you know you get used to it when you're back in the states or whatever and then you get overseas and there's a there's time change and you're on you may be on a night uh battle rhythm or you day battle rhythm or it's well, i i did many deployments when especially when i was in a leadership position where i was the one deep in my job and so i was really on call 24 7 you know so you where do I find time to work out, you know, because, you know, where do I find time to go eat when? Yeah. You know, when can I sleep? Uh, because there's always that knock on a door or a phone call or something. So uh, you have to learn to balance that really hard. And, and it can really add up very fast if you if you don't take care of yourself and, and find those things that help you kind of you know, decompress, so to speak.
0: It's very important. I, I've I've heard you say the word exercise and workout uh, a few times, and I would be upset with myself if I didn't talk about it with you because obviously, you know, I work out every day. Like I I heard you say, it's like I'm not the same person without it. It really starts my day off the right way. Uh, it makes me a better person. There's so many there's so many benefits to working out. But what exactly you know is working out for you? And it's like what what is your your daily workout routine? You know, what does your workout routine look like on a daily basis? Well,
1: Monday through Fridays, I pop about an hour and a half in the water. So the big yardage I used to do, I've condensed down, but I'm still very old school. So I'm kind of a volume guy. Uh, So I like to put eh, 4,000, 5,000 yards or meters, depending on what pool I'm in. I try to do that Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursdays, the routine now is I like to row Uh, because of my injuries and everything. But I, I can swim, I can row, I can bike, and that's about it. I can't run anymore, and my shoulders are torn up, uh, exercise. So I, as I get older, I try to do a little more stretching. Uh, I don't do the big weights anymore. I just kind of do body stuff. And uh, so I, I'll i try to incorporate like Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday of a, a rowing, light swim, or something else. And then try to take one day off a week, and uh, but I've gotten a lot more into stretching and kind of listening to my body a little bit more. Um, you know, when you're young, and I remember when I was your age, <laughs> I, uh, I didn't listen to anybody. <laughs> I just go, 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 and that's kind of that's where I was growing. Is volume, we did volume. You know, I, I'll tell you, you know, I just I'm gonna date myself, but when we're talking about working out is. When I started swimming, weight had just come into the picture. And so you had a lot of coaches, do I do weight training? Or if I take that hour of weight training, why don't I just put another hour in the water? Because there's that always argument is weight weight will <laughs> tighten you up. And that's not what you want in swimming, put more weight on or put weight on you. You don't want to be light, smooth, flexible in the water. A lot of argument on that. It's come a long way. I, I've seen it develop more if it's very cool on what's going on. So, but I am an old school guy, so it's volume with volume in the water. Just, Oh yeah, let's do another half hour in the water, another 5,000 or whatever. So that's kind of grew up. So I like, I see my, like what's going on and we go overseas, uh, you you do your CrossFit, you do your TRX, um, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever's available, whatever time allows you, I try to find in, but uh, I always tried find a pool and i did in iraq so wow <laughs> so i made time and everybody knew where i was at you know so that was that was the one thing i did wherever i went whenever i said word i said this is what I keeps me happy and if they were always looking for coach they always go to the pool that was the first place they checked so
0: wow i love that that's uh that's incredible i i love that story and what what's one piece of advice, right? Because most of the people listening are probably my age, 25 years old, you know, probably probably men. What's one piece of advice that you would give me or, or people my age, whether it's about fitness, whether it's about life, uh, just one piece of advice in general?
1: I think it was I think it's always again my motto is like, I wanted to do unique and challenging things, no matter how old I am. So that's the way I've tried to live my life. But don't let anybody tell you no. You know, that's and I think I mentioned it earlier. Is everybody told me I wasn't going to make it through seals? Nobody told me I was even seals when I told them I was going to try out for damn neck. No, you're not going to make damn neck. You know, um, I wasn't going to make captain in the navy. Everybody was telling me I was going to do this. Now that I'm in school, you know, you're not. Why are you going to school? Why you're not going to make it through? It's an Ivy League school. It's hard. You're not going to do it. I use that as motivation. And I think that's a great way to go through life is prove people wrong, you know, hey, what what a greater motivator is to, to look at somebody who said no, or told not going to make it and go, Hey, look, look what I did. You know, it's always very sad. It's been very satisfying to me, you know, so that's my, that's my advice, you know, don't let anybody, you know, and, and, and the last point I always tell college kids is, Life is going to offer you unique opportunities, maybe just one time, and you got to be sharp enough and smart enough to realize that this is an opportunity that I need to either jump on or just let go. You know, and and I swear to God, it's the same thing when the seal thing came in. I was like, I thought I was going to be a coach, and then woo, this came up. Well, I'm going to go do that. You know, and then the school thing. Hey, I'm going to go do that. You know, you got to life is going to offer you some really unique opportunities smart be smart enough to take advantage of them you know that's the last thing i i can really offer up
0: that's incredible advice be ready for those opportunities and yeah. you know when people say no it's like it, it doesn't always mean no you know have that chip on your shoulder work hard prove people wrong and i think you're a great example of when you do reach those destinations that you've been going for it's probably so worth it
1: I, I got to tell you, yes, and I'll, I'll swear to the day I die and I talk about it, earlier, wearing that trident is, you know, you walk in a room and everybody knows who you are, you know, <laughs> and everybody knows what it was all about. And, and I, I love being a SEAL. I loved it. And, and I'm happy with what I did and my career, and I'm happy to be a student right now. You know, uh, when I wear my pen shirt, I'm good to go now, you know. So I, I think it's cool, man. Whatever gets you going and motivates you, that's kind of the way I do it. And life's too short, man. Have fun and go out and try things. I never want to tell myself, what if? I never want to ask myself, what if? And say that I didn't try at least to, to do something.
0: I love that, man. This was a, a very, very inspiring podcast. I'll tell you what, I got my socks on. I'm about to get my shoes on, lace those up, and go for a run because you motivated the hell out of me, man. And before <laughs> we do that, I want to show you some of the comments that we had from some of the people joining in on YouTube Live. We had Farhad from Germany tuning in. Farhad was saying hello from Germany. Moody F.A. said, in the presence of greatness indeed. Really inspiring coach. Pavlik. And then uh, obviously my mom was on, and we'll end it with this. Hall of Fame. Check mark, West Virginia Hall of Fame coach. That was a phenomenal podcast. I I really appreciate you coming on. It was great, you know, getting to know your story a little bit more. So motivating, inspiring, and uh, you know, we really are in the presence of greatness. So thank you so much for joining the show. This was in, an incredible time.
1: Thanks, Jake. I appreciate your time and giving me the opportunity. It's always a pleasure.
0: Man, and we got to get back in the pool when I come back to Tampa.
1: When you anytime you want to try out for the varsity, you come talk to me. <laughs>
0: I will big time. Thanks, coach. Appreciate you. All
1: right, Jay. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you.